Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Connie Wang never intended to write a book about her mother. It felt almost too cliched, the first-generation immigrant writing about her parents' sacrifice. But in her new memoir, Oh My Mother, Wang documents the travel she has taken with her mom, from Vegas to Versailles and places in between. Along the way, Wang shares lessons learned from her mother, like why two creme brulees comprise the perfect meal and how Magic Mike XXL might be the perfect movie. Wang joins us next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in today for Mina Kim. In Chinese, the phrase, oh my God, literally translates to, oh my mother. This bit of translation serendipity perhaps highlights the larger-than-life role mothers play in Chinese culture. And oh my mother turned out to be the perfect title for journalist Connie Wang's new memoir about her own larger-than-life mom, Ching Li. It's never easy to capture a parent on the page, but Wang had help. Her mother was the book's first reader and edited every page, which tells you a little bit about Wang's mom. But rather than me explaining it to you, Connie Wang joins us this morning to talk about her new book, which is at turns poignant and hilarious. Welcome to Forum, Connie. Thanks for having me. It's so good to be here. Well, I have given this big build up to your mom, and I have so many questions about her and your adventures and misadventures with her. But I think many listeners may have first encountered your mom in a recent piece you wrote for The New York Times. And that article, which was titled Generation Connie, centers around your name. And so Connie isn't your first, your original first name. Can you tell us about the name your grandfather chose for you? What was it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. So uh, my full name in Chinese is Wang Xiaokong. And Xiaokong is a shortened phrase that was uh, fairly popular during the year I was born um, as a slogan for the uh, Chinese Communist Party, which um, 
the meaning of it is basically uh, uh, a bit of prosperity, a medium-sized prosperity for all is better than a um, large amount of prosperity for a few, which <laughs> kind of sums it up. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think that when I was born, um, he saw me as a, a small package of prosperity, right? And so uh, <laughs> it was a pretty direct translation. Um, and that was the name I came um, came to the United States with. Um, and the the English spelling of Xiao Kong starts with an X, which, uh, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense uh, for the pinyin in Chinese. But mm-hmm. um, people in Nebraska had a, quite a tough time with it. <laughs> well, your moderate prosperity, um, as your name, is just pretty funny. And then when you came, you came when you were three years old. And your parents let you choose an American name. And what did you choose? And that's right. Um, they let me choose a English name when we were um, we made the decision to to, to stay in the United States. Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful that they helped guide me to a good name. And of course, I don't remember this. Um, but the only English names I really knew were the ones I had encountered in my daycare program, which was through Head Start, and then the names that I had heard on the television. Um, and that's how I learned English. The through TV. Mm. That's how my parents learned colloquial English as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, it could have been Michelangelo uh, from <laughs> the Ninja Turtles. Um, could have been Elmo. Uh, but I, I chose Connie after Connie Chung. Uh, she was a beautiful uh, mm. person on TV. Um, and I watched her with my entire family every single evening. So I've heard. Um, and she was she was quite frankly the only person on TV that I saw that looked like uh, the, the the beautiful Ayes that my mom were friends with. But she was famous. So I was like, Connie, right. what about that one? And it sounds um, awfully a lot similar to Xiao Kong, uh, my Chinese name. So it was a great fit all around. And growing up, I mean, you grew up largely in Minnesota and with stops in Alabama before that. You thought your name was pretty unique, that there were not a lot of Connies around. When did that change for you? Yeah. So growing up in the middle of the country, I think the only times I ever heard that someone else was named Connie or that name had been part of someone's life was like an aunt, you know, um, mm. an older woman named Connie um, who was born in maybe like the 40s or 50s. Um, and that was probably because I didn't grow up among a lot of Asian Americans um, who had a very similar story to, to my own. And it wasn't until I went to college at UC Berkeley in California, and finally, for the first time, I was part of a majority. Um, at the time, it was, um, I think the Asian student body was about 50%, like very close to 50% of the student body at Berkeley. And that was quite the culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. But when I was standing in line during orientation, um, someone had called out like, Connie Wayne. <laughs> and I was shock i i didn't know a single person on campus i'm like i can't i have a friend here someone knows who i am but of course they weren't talking about me they were they were shouting at another connie way who was standing right in front of me in line that was that was crazy you know and i and i and i went home and i logged on to facebook which was very new at the time and i looked up connie's on campus and there were so many of us and they were all asian i couldn't believe it um at the time, I, I think I set up a, a Connie's Unite Facebook group just, <laughs> just for us. And there were a lot of us in that group, I got to mm. say. And so that was the first clue I had that I was not alone. Well, was that a good feeling to not be alone? Or was it a bit of a shock to find that, that there wasn't a lot of originality here in first names? And there are a lot of Connie's. 
there are a lot of Connie's I know. Uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't say it was a bad feeling, but it was a surreal feeling to to realize that your story is not quite unique. But mm-hmm. I thought it was just like a like a quirky thing that had happened, right? It was like a bizarre circumstance or a bizarre coincidence. Um, but it wasn't until I started talking to all of these Connie's and asking them, oh, what's the origin of your name? Are you mm-hmm. named after like an uh, aunt or mm-hmm. is it short for Constance? Mm-hmm. Um and every single one of them said, no, it's, it's, you can't, you wouldn't believe it. It's after Connie Chung. I was like, whoa, <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> what did Connie Chung represent for you? And um, I mean, in your piece, you talk about how you didn't think it was a coincidence that all these Connies that you spoke to, because you brought everybody together for the New York Times piece that you wrote, uh, that they had a similar origin story. That's right. Um, so, you know, the the thing that ties all the Asian Connies together is the fact that we're all immigrants. Um, whether we came from another country, and mostly East Asian countries, onto mm-hmm. the United States around the same time, that time is when Connie Chung was on air, mm-hmm. um, or our parents had come and we were uh, newly born um, in the United States. Um, and there was something that um, also ties us together in that, like, our moms mostly had careers back in their home countries that didn't translate in America. So whether it was language based or it was a skill that was very specific to their home countries, they basically had to reinvent themselves as professionals or abandon that um, that career um, once they got to the United States. And there, that sense of loss was um, understandably like so profound for a lot of people um, that when they were naming their daughters, um, you know, and then they were looking around them for, for any sort of clue as to what is a name that feels appropriate, what is a name that would be welcome, what is a name that is also a strong name and a beautiful name? There was like a face telling them <laughs> what that name was. And that face was in their living rooms every mm. single evening in the form of Connie Chung. And not only was she very defiantly Asian, she was also beautiful and she was also so strong. And she asked really, really tough questions to very important <laughs> people. And she was so brave to be able to do it. And, you know, I I, I don't think that any of our parents were, were media nerds in the sense mm-hmm. that you know, some of us Connies are media nerds now they probably didn't understand the sort of like palace intrigue and politics of Connie Chung being on the air um, and what that meant at the time. But the simple fact that she was there meant a lot. Um, And for for women in their 20s and 30s who... um, for who thought about their careers and and thought about their sense of place in this world um, really seriously, Mm -hmm. they saw Connie Chung as a real world model. Well, I grew up in Southern California when she was a, she was a local broadcaster for a little bit, and I loved her too. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I, and you met her, right? She came to the New York Times studios to meet the other Connies, but you've spoken to her, and I think she even did a blurb for your book. She did, Grace. But you know what? <laughs> the funny thing is, I've never actually met her. Oh. Um, I've only spoken with her on the phone, and I've been so lucky to have spoken with her a few times. Um, the first time I actually reached out to her as I was doing research into the memoir I wrote, um, and that was, I can't believe she responded to my email, and then we hopped on the phone. It was a lovely conversation. But when the New York Times organized this photo shoot, unfortunately, I couldn't make it out mm. there. But I'm so happy that Connie Chung got the chance to meet all these other Connies and kind of see her legacy in living form, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I wish I could have been there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're carrying the you're carrying the torch here in this book. And I mean, I think a lot of the things that you described at the way in which you describe Connie Chung sort of reflect on your own mother. And I wanted to talk about her. You call your mom an accidental immigrant. And what do you mean by that? 
Yeah. So um, my mom had a robust career in China. She was actually an editor of nonfiction books, um, which uh, explains why I felt very comfortable. And I really, <laughs> really wanted her to read um, the book I wrote um, even before the chance, like my editor uh, mm -hmm. had a chance to read it. Um, but when she came to the United States, she was actually visiting my father, um, who was in grad school at the University of um, Nebraska in Lincoln. And she thought this trip was going to last maybe a year, two years tops. Um, she put her job on pause, but the idea was that she was always going to come, come back afterwards and, you know, pick up where, um, where she left it. Um, and uh, my dad had the same expectations. He would finish out his um, PhD program, get his uh, degree, and then and then go back to China. Um, but while he was here, something really big happened, which was um, the Tiananmen Square student protests. And um, he joined in um, a, a protest in the University of, of Nebraska-Lincoln, mm. um, carrying some signs out of solidarity. And, and if you um, know anything about the, those protests, you know, in the first few days of, of those protests, it, it started out very peaceful. It was mm. really a student demonstration. Um, and then we all know what, what happened with it, but his photo was taken and it was printed in a newspaper. And as um, those protests turned into to a real massacre, um, you know, that photo got sent to his parents by yeah. an un, like an anonymous person. Um, it was really ambiguous what that even meant, but that also, that threat was, was fairly clear that someone was paying attention to what he was doing in the United States. Um, and so the uh, the American government, um, in in response to that, um, offered a, a green card program um, for Chinese students who were studying abroad in the United States. And my family took advantage of that. And what was supposed to be a year, two year trip for my mom <laughs> ended up being a permanent move. And she still to this day, she's like, I brought one suitcase. <laughs> she's like, I did not know. Um, and that's when they sent for me. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I and I came to the United States, too. Well, it's a fascinating story because most immigrants come wanting to be here for a long time and wanting to reestablish a life. But your mom had a real life back home in China that she wanted to return to. She really did. Um, she had a great job. She had great friends. She loved the things that she loved, which were shopping and, and, and eating out and um, just like being a young woman. Um, and she had we had a big family back at home. Mm -hmm. um, so when she found herself in the United States um, and not able to translate a very big career as an editor of, of Chinese nonfiction into anything that made sense here, um, you can imagine just like how 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 much that rocked her sense of identity. Um, and then, of course, I was here um, and she became pregnant with my mm. little sister, which meant, you know, that's uh, one extra kid uh, than, than is allowed for right. um, under Chinese policy. She knew that it was over and she really had to figure out what life would be like as an American, mm -hmm. uh, much less right. a Chinese American. She Absolutely. had no idea what that meant. Absolutely. Well, we were talking to author Connie Wang about her new memoir, Oh My Mother. We'll have more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan, in for Mina Kim. We're talking to journalist Connie Wang about her new memoir, Oh My Mother. It's about the trips she's taken to both physical and emotional places with her mom. Wang is the former executive editor of Refinery29 and the host of its documentary series, Style Out There. We would love to hear from you, our listeners. I know there's some great stories out there to share. I mean, do Connie Wang's reflections on her name or her experiences with her mom resonate with you? And when was the moment you realized your mom was a person and not just your mom? Give us, email us at, uh, email your comments and questions to us at forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook on Instagram at KQED Forum or give us a call now. We're at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Connie, the subtitle of this book is Nine Experiences with My Mother, and those experiences include travel. You've said in interviews that travel helps distill who you are. And there was a moment when your family was able to go back to China. You were a child. And I was curious, what did traveling to China with your mother do to your sense of who she was? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, it sounds so offensive to say when I finally realized my mom was a person and not just a (laughs) a real mom, but it is so true. And I think that that is a moment that happens in every person's person's life um, where you realize your your parent isn't just there to to take care of you, right? They had Mm -hmm. a life before you. They will likely have a life after you leave home. Um, So that first trip back to China was monumental, uh, not only because of just the logistics of going there. It was the first that I would have ever traveled, well, I would have remembered traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, out of any of my peers, even, um, that trip to China was was the first time um, that anyone flew as far as I did. Um, so that made me feel quite proud. Um, but the other thing is, and this is something I didn't realize, it was the first time my parents would have gone back to China since they got stuck here. Mm-hmm. Um it would have been a homecoming for them in a sense that I would have never been able to grasp um, as someone, as a 10-year-old. Um, and for me, it was a chance to sort of compare myself. And at that age, I think that, you know, that's all you want to do to kind mm-hmm. of see how you stack up around your friends, around people you admire, around people that you don't admire. Um, and I really was in a quite awkward stage of, <laughs> of adolescence. <laughs> Just a you know very homely looking child, um, super awkward, not great social skills. Mm-hmm. And what I really desperately wanted out of that trip was not a sense of belonging per se, mm-hmm. but a sense of superiority. And that feels so upsetting to say out loud right mm. now. But that is the truth. Um, I wanted to go home, compare myself against my cousins and be like, I'm American. Like mm-hmm. they're they're merely Chinese. Look at how great we are. Mm-hmm. Um, look at how great I am. Um, that is not what my parents were thinking, obviously. Um, certainly not what my mother was thinking. She was so concerned about presenting a, a version of her life that would make my grandparents and her family members feel feel like they hadn't made a mistake, that it wasn't a tragic uh, sort of accident that they were in the United States um, and had gotten stuck here, um, and that things were actually okay, and then and they they were making do. So superiority wasn't the 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 goal of my mm-hmm. mom. 
Um, but it was a much more modest one, but it was also a much more bittersweet one. Um, and so, of course, like I write about this in the, in the memoir, but um, when we went back, of, like I was just horrified to realize that I was so wrong. All my assumptions were wrong. <laughs> right. um, the, the 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 hometown that um, we went back to, um, Jinan and Qingdao in the Shandong province, um, they're cosmopolitan cities. Um, they're huge. Um, and they just dwarfed um, the where we were living um, in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which was a lovely, lovely suburb in Minnesota, but it is not a major metropolitan city. Um, I was shocked to see how well, well, well liked and well connected and how many friends that they had in China, um, how many people wanted to take them out and catch up and, and, and the ways in which they spoke to my parents were unlike anything I had ever seen before where, um, you know, mostly white adults, when they would speak to my parents would kind of speak to them like they were children, mostly because of their language skills, but they would always speak to them as if there was, there was a distance between them. Um, and that obviously wasn't the case. And, and, you know, my Chinese language skills have, have, um, <laughs> were mm -hmm. drastically diminished by that time. But what I could understand from it all was that, like, I had gotten it wrong, that my parents in America was a uh, maybe diminished version of themselves than my parents in China. Mm. And that was a really uh, upsetting thing to realize mm -hmm. uh, while I was in China. Yeah, it well, was humbling. I mean, and when your mother comes back from that trip, I mean, before she left, she wasn't much of a clothes hound. And you describe, you know, the baggy T-shirts, sort of the mom wear that she had. And then after she, after that trip, she came kind of became more obsessed with her fashion. And I guess, was she finding a new self or was she dis rediscovering her old self? Well, Grace, this isn't something I realized until I fully became an adult, um, but my mom had always been super fashionable. I just couldn't <laughs> see, I couldn't recognize the style in like 80s clothing, right? So right. when I would see photos of her um, back in China, I was like, oh my God, this is so tacky. Like yeah. not even realizing that, you know, she was actually incredibly fashion forward. Um, but, you know, out of a uh, sort of a necessity of staying like thrifty, mm. um, also just like dealing with uh, just very, like just to Depression, really. You know, mm. when you're depressed, you really don't want to dress up or or draw attention to yourself. Um, but after she came home from, um, came, we came back from that homecoming in China, something changed. Um, you know, and I was also at an age too, and I was starting to get into fashion and realizing that the fashion magazines that we had been subscribing to wasn't just like a, they just checked a checkbox on that sort of like a card that you get in magazines from mm -hmm. airline miles and you get mm -hmm. free magazines. But she was subscribing to them because she loved fashion. And so we started shopping together. And the things that she would pick out for herself were beyond my expectations. I was like, <laughs> wow, my mom is, has a wild sense of style. And the things that she would urge me to try out for myself were also really adventurous. Um, and things that I never thought that moms would ever want their kids to be wearing. Um <laughs> And so that was my first inkling that like, uh oh, I really don't understand my mom at all. Mm. And I kind of like this discovery that there's something so fascinating about what she's showing me about herself and how we're engaging with this that, um, you know, that <laughs> if there's anything that is a theme of this book, it's just I'm always wrong about everything, <laughs> especially when it comes to her. <laughs> well, I looked on your Instagram and I saw the outfit your mother wore to one of your book talks at Romans in Pasadena. <laughs> and all I have to say is thumbs up. I mean, she did a great job. She looked amazing. And she's very stylish. Um, and as you said, she fits in all the sample sizes, too. It, she must have found it very fulfilling that you became a fashion editor. 
She did. Oh my gosh. She loved it when I was a fashion editor and would receive samples. And um, a lot of fashion brands at the time would be, would send fashion editors um, sort of like the most trendy versions of the things that they had made, um, just, you know, for, to, to, to ask to be um, reported on or included in shopping roundups. A lot of those things were not my style. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I passed a lot of those things on to my mom. And so a lot of her wardrobe still consists of, you know, fashion editor samples and things. Um, so looking at her outfits these days like it is it's 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 quite a treat because she will mix and match things from different eras um but they're always the trendiest things from every single era so Mm -hmm. it all together looks completely out of context (laughs) and a bit bizarre but that's her style it's just like it's it's a cornucopia of insanity (laughs) well you know i was struck by i mean i found your mother really compelling person and character and she didn't think that a book about her would be very interesting because in her words no bad things had happened just Mm -hmm. weird ideas (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i'm curious what are the weird ideas that define your mother or your mother thinks define her yeah, um, I think a lot of immigrant parents probably have a disaster mindset when it comes to, you know, how life works, but it's true to her, you know, things that she never thought would have happened ended up changing the course of her life. But this also applies to very small things. Um, when my husband and I were looking, uh, we're moving to Los Angeles, and we were thinking about, you know, where we would live, she was like, do not live in a townhouse in Los Angeles, because uh, there will be snakes in the walls. And I was like, <laughs> What are you talking about? You know, of course, it's like one person had told her one anecdote at one time that, you know, that this this happened. Never mind where it, where it took place in Arizona, right? Um, so the, the most extreme version of someone's story will lodge into her brain. Mm. And that is the thing that she will, you know, forever apply to those circumstances moving forward. I mean, same goes with nutrition. I think that like when it comes to food, my mom has maybe the strangest philosophies about mm. what is constitutes it's healthy and good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for instance, like fruit snacks, like the packaged fruit snacks, not the organic kind, not mm-hmm. like the healthy kind, just like the Welch's fruit snacks <laughs> are the thing you eat when you need to feel better. Like mm. it is like medicine. Um, she gives them to my child um, and, and treats it like medicine. And, you know, doctors might not agree, mm-hmm. um, but she stands by it. You know, that is yeah. uh, that is the, yeah, that is a healthy food. <laughs> well, I think I fell in love with your mom when I read that she believes that a drumstick ice cream cone is a perfectly acceptable and nutritious breakfast. Oh, yeah, I know. Describe that for me. Like, how does that break down? Well, first of all, now that I'm a parent myself, I kind of understand the uh, allure of a tidy food where you Mm -hmm. can just like throw away a wrapper at the very end and like that is perfect. Um, But I mean, at the end of it, it's, it's what you got your carbohydrates in the form of the cone. There's dairy, which is what you eat for breakfast, mm-hmm. right? And there's nuts. The nuts ah. are like the real protein of it. It's got chocolate and stuff, but it's like, there's also chocolate in breakfast foods. She was like, mm-hmm. what is the difference between a drumstick ice cream cone and a bowl of tricks? Honestly, there probably isn't that much, I, you know? I mean, I believe, <laughs> first of all, I love a drumstick. And second of all, I hear it. I mean, I think a muffin is basically cake. So, you know, I, I'm all with your mother. Um, we're talking to journalist Connie Wang about her new memoir, Oh My Mother. It's about the trips she's taken with her mother, both physical and emotional, and um, the lessons that she's learned uh, from her mom. And we'd love to hear from you. Do Con- Connie Wang's reflections on her name or her experiences with her mom resonate with you? And 
When was the moment you realized your mom was a person and not just your mom? Email your comments or questions to us at forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or give us a call. We're at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. This listener writes, I remember the first time my son realized I was a person with a life outside of being a mom. He was 10, and he came home from school, and he asked, how was your day? It was weirdly so moving. <laughs> That's very sweet. Uh, Connie, so your parents' trajectory, they have they slowly gain a foothold into the middle class, and they triumphantly joined a timeshare vacation club. You say that those vacations sort of toughened you up to the point where you today are unscammable, and that's a point of pride for you. What did those re- those vacations, those timeshare vacations, represent for you as a child and an older kid growing up? Yeah, um, you know, if, if if I'm thinking about all the chapters that I wrote in this book, I think that timeshare chapter was probably the the toughest for me, mm-hmm. um, just because of the emotions that I have about this timeshare program um, are not good ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, spoiler I mean, alert: this is not an ad for timeshares. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the timeshare program that they um, bought into, I'm not going to name the name of it, but it was very, very, very expensive. Like, like I eye-wateringly expensive and they bought it on a lark in our uh, in our mall like from a kiosk um, and basically it locked us into this obligation to take a vacation every year which sounds really nice but mm-hmm. only in the select group of timeshares um, that they had around the world um, when they first did it I thought okay, this is amazing. We have never gone on a family vacation before to go like sit around and do nothing. That was such an exotic idea. Like go to a beach and just hang out for the entire day. There would be no sort of like tours of museums or college campuses or, you know, the educational moments that of, of the, uh, the um, vacations that we had normally taken. Um, but then the other part of it, because I knew how much money it was, and that never sat right with me from the very mm. beginning. And, you know, I was old enough at that point to realize that, like, you know, the, 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 there are predatory aspects of this world that really prey on um, immigrants who have a lot of ambitions and ha- dreams about their own lives, but don't necessarily have the savvy, uh, the cultural sort of competency or the language skills to see the scam uh, mm-hmm. within uh, underneath. Um, and as I started going on them, I, there was a few things that like really just didn't sit well with me. The fact that all of the other people um, at these resorts were, you know, of lower education, oftentimes immigrants with the sort of like language skills that my parents had or didn't have. Um, and the other thing was like, they would always try to upsell you um, during these very uh, fakely grand breakfasts that were a quote unquote free, but they would try to upsell you with these points and 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 these things that you would have to do in order to trade in your points for more access to all these things. It was always so frustrating. I could never express myself during those, those breakfasts and try to defend ourselves from mm. whatever scam was happening there um and at a certain point to this day we're still in this this timeshare program oh. i've just given up my hands i'm just like we're not gonna go to this breakfast mm. anymore we're gonna get we're gonna get our money's worth um but unfortunately we're we're still locked in we're yeah. still going every year <laughs> well hopefully you'll carry you'll pass all that trade of being unscammable to your son as a result um let's go to the phones we've got martin from santa clara martin welcome to forum uh, well thanks for the call uh yeah, my, for my mom, I realized that she wasn't just a mom when she was very creative as an artist, uh, was doing paintings, but I could ask her to draw, air, you know, 
pictures of aircraft. She could just look at a picture and draw whatever I wanted for me. And that was something I knew that other moms never did for their kids or even could do. So I knew then at a young age, probably like six or seven years old, that my mom wasn't just a mom, that she was someone that had a passion for something else beyond just family. Oh, that's really lovely. Thanks for calling, Martin. I I think similarly, Connie, you might have had that revelation working with your mom on this book. As as you said, she was a hotshot editor back in China. And watching her edit this book and add detail and her own thoughts to it, did that change how you saw your mom or see your mom today? hundred percent, Grace. Um, I knew that it was going to not be possible to write this book without her input and without her collaboration, because it would be dishonest to uh, to my story if my mom wasn't also involved in telling this story. Um, and I understand um, a lot of memoirs, especially difficult memoirs about families, um, are written in isolation because it's, it's a difficult thing to do. And sometimes you don't want input. Um, but for this one, I really wanted to tell a story from her perspective. And, you know, I obviously had to had to involve her quite deeply. Um, The other aspect of this was it was written during the pandemic. Mm. Um, and so, you know, for, for her to come stay with us um, was, was a multi-month sort of affair. Each time oh. we would be together, we would have to stay for a long time just because of what we knew about quarantining back then. Um, so I had the luxury of being able to write chapters and then have her right there um, and where we would discuss the themes, discuss the sort of scenes that would happen, discuss our memories and where they overlapped and where they differed. Um, and in, in real time, you know, and then she would be able to see the final product as it was produced. So it was a, you know, it was, it happened both out of an, a, a need. I, like I knew that there was a moral need to involve her, um, but also just because she was there, uh, she was right next to me. Well, there are things that she said, nope, that's not going in the book uh, and that you really wanted in there. Um, you know, I, we there were a lot of things that did not make it into the book. Some of them were because she thought it was too boring. And mm. honestly, she was probably right. She's an <laughs> editor, you know. Um, and then other things are they're, they're family secrets, you know. Um, and I think that that is such an important thing to be able to 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 preserve and to keep. Um, you know, the the secrets that you have between people and between your family are they're you know they're sacred. Um, and I, of course, I didn't want to do any of those. Like, I didn't want to reveal any of those things in the book. So there are things that are still private between her and her family and her and me um, that we'll, we'll never write about, you know, mm. and I'll never write about. Um, so, of course, there are things in there. Um, but uh, because those were the the reasons, um, I I, ne- I don't feel bad that mm-hmm. they didn't make it into the book, you know. Well, we're going to talk more to Connie Wang about her new memoir, Oh, My Mother, edited by her own mother. And we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call uh, if you have a story about traveling with your parent and what you learned about your parent from those those trips. And or are you a child of immigrants? And what does your mother not understand about your life? And what don't you understand about your parents' life as an immigrant? Email your comments to and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. More after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. We're talking with journalist Connie Wang about her new memoir, Oh My Mother, a memoir in nine adventures. Wang previously worked as executive editor at Refinery29 and was host of the site's documentary fashion series, Style Out There. Connie, in your book, you devote an entire chapter to your mother's love of the movie Magic Mike XXL. Honestly, I think I laughed out loud through that entire essay. So I'd like to know, from where did your mother's love for this movie spring? You know, I have no idea. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To this day, uh, I'm not quite sure what it, I mean, I have my hunches of what spoke to her in the movie, um, but I think it was just a visceral reaction to the fact that it was a really good time. Um, Mm. (laughs) You know, she, I think she had seen the first Magic Mike and it was, um, uh, it's a completely different type of movie. Um, It's quite depressing. It's very, very dark and slow. Mm. it was. It's actually my favorite Magic Mike movie, of course. Um, but the second one is just like a rollicking good time from beginning to end. Um, and I do think that there is one storyline in it with Andy McDowell um, that really captured my mom's um, sort of love and, and attention in which uh, Andy McDowell talks about how women of her age um, are oftentimes ignored Um by mm. by people, and I think the the Channing Tatum character and all the other magic men um in the show uh, tried to prove her wrong um in that scene, um but she had a deep love for the for the movie had seen it in theaters a number of times um and just talked incessantly about just how fun <laughs> it was and how impressive the dancing was, um and so we ended up somehow um, attending the Magic Mike live show in Las Vegas together. Uh, basically on a dare, even though it was an <laughs> unspoken dare. Um, but that's how it happened. We did it. <laughs> well, you said, Mom, there's this show in Vegas. Do you want to go? I think you didn't believe she would actually take you up on the offer. Never in my life did I think that she would go see it. I think because just because of the subject matter of the show, these sure. are like, these are, you know, strippers and dancers. And <laughs> to my knowledge, she has never done anything like that in her life before. Right. Um, and the live show would, you know, probably be the most, I mean, not probably, was the most sanitized version of what male mm. reviews probably are. But they're still not something you kind of do with an Asian immigrant mom. Um, <laughs> but, you know, again, I'm always wrong about her. And so she right. said yes, and we did it. <laughs> well, you're not just you didn't just do it. You ended up on stage. Am I right? 
Yeah, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> um, you know, what ended up happening is um, I uh, I didn't really think through the um, importance of outfit choices mm. um, uh, in, in things like this. I'm a pants kind of person. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't really like wear dresses or skirts. And so I naturally just wore a pair of pants. And, and I think that we wanted to, you know, show up together. And she was like, what do you wear to one of these? I'm like, I'm going to wear this these pants. So she ended up wearing pants too. Um, and the thing about Magic Mike and their performances is that like they will, if they decide that you are the person they're going to pull up on stage, mm-hmm. they're going to flip you upside down. They're going to twirl you around. Um, and so you should be wearing pants. I had no idea <laughs> that that was one of the things they look out for. Ah. Um, and so I kind of... Um, yeah, I really, I really played myself um, in this. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you wore pants, your mother wore pants, and your mother came with a $200 worth of $1 bills, like a huge stack of money, because mm-hmm. she was trying to replicate, I guess, the movie experience, and she was prepared to just fly those bills out of her hand, if I understand the story correctly. Yep. Yeah, we paid uh, we paid for everything with those single dollars after the fact. It was quite the uh, <laughs> it's quite the memory. Um, but yeah, no, I got pulled up on stage, and um, you know, it, in a quite awkward sequence. At least it was for me. Um, there's video footage of this that my mom took. Um, that uh, I've seen a snippet of it, and that's mm-hmm. enough for me. I like do not need to revisit that moment again in my life. Um, but uh, it was I couldn't see anything. The lights were so bright. I was mortified while it was happening I was actively willing myself to forget it as I was up on stage but the one thing I do remember is like (laughs) it's her standing up filming Mm. me her face just like beaming because she was so proud um and you know that that was a really wonderful um uh thing to remember from a truly uh horrifying um Well, I mean, it's a lesson learned, which is one, never predict what your mom's going to do. And Mm -hmm. two, you never know what's going to make a parent proud. (laughs) I I mean, I I still don't know what exactly she was proud about. But it's maybe the fact that like, I didn't say no, I just Mm. did it. And I was I was a little brave about it and put myself out there. Yeah. Well, another experience that you had your mom with your mom is you're you were a fashion editor and you had a relationship to Paris where you would attend shows and it was kind of a part love, part hate feeling about Paris. And and then you guys, you and your mother went on a trip to Versailles. How did that change your feelings about Paris and France? I mean, I, you encountered a huge a group of Chinese tourists there. Oh, yeah. Um, so this was uh, a major moment for my mother. She had never traveled outside of North America before, um, except back home to China. So this was the first time she had ever been to Europe. Um, and so and at that point, I had been to Europe at least twice a year um, and to Paris specifically twice a year um, for the past however many years as a fashion editor. It felt like a very like mundane sort of old hat moment for me, um, but realized that this was probably the most exotic thing my mom would would have done in her life up until that point. Um, so when we went to Paris, uh, the things that were on our hit list were were places that she had remembered reading about in books or, or seeing in movies, because that's how she really, um, you know, experienced the world, um, having not gone there. Um, and Versailles was very high on her list. So when we went, um, she expected the Versailles from cinema, you know, mm. um, which is, again... <laughs> 
nothing nothing we expect ends up happening that way mm-hmm. um and what we actually found was that it's a massive tourist destination as anyone who's ever been to versailles recently will will be able to to tell you um but the majority of the tourists we were shocked to see were chinese tourists from mainland china and the reason we were shocked is because up until I would want to say a decade prior to that, uh, mainland Chinese tourists um, were not traveling the world like that um, because of um, national policies, um, just access, the ability to even secure visas. Um, but at a certain time, the sort of uh, the gates opened and Chinese tourists really took advantage of this newfound freedom. And they began traveling in huge numbers in mass and typically through these tour buses, um, which make traveling to foreign countries where you don't speak the language, don't know the culture, don't kind of know how to behave and in, in the, the, the local etiquette a lot more friendly to them. Mm. Um and so when we got to Versailles, we accidentally made a wrong turn, ended up in the parking lot for these <laughs> giant tour buses. And we're surrounded by Chinese tourists. And it, it, was, it, it was a real moment for both of us. I had never been around that many um, mainland Chinese people outside of China. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing how they behaved um, uh, juxtaposed against how American tourists behaved and then juxtaposed against how we were behaving, too. I was like, this is just like an amazing culture clash that uh, I, I, I found really, really meaningful. And she did, too. And what's the what what did you find meaningful about that? Because is it because the Chinese tourists, maybe the best way to say they just didn't care. They were Chinese tourists and they didn't care what other people thought about them. And perhaps the you and your mom were a little bit more clipped in your way that you move through the world as Chinese Americans. Yeah, Grace, I th- that's basically it. Um, you know, as Asian Americans, um, when we are in public, the, the most important thing that we're trying to to do is to not be noticed and not uh, not kind of stick our heads out. Um, and that's just how I think a lot of minorities um, move through this world. Um, but we, at Versailles, um, I think we were also there with the sort of pressure of not doing the ugly American um, sort of like tourist thing um, and not falling into those stereotypes of which we, we likely wouldn't have just be, because our personalities aren't that way. Mm-hmm. But we do see, and and we have seen, and, and both of us were very familiar with sort of like the ugly Western, like the uh, tourist um, stereotype. But then seeing how Chinese people um, uh, were traveling, um, not, and I want to say all, um, but quite a lot of them, they were traveling with very little regard for what is appropriate in that local setting. Um, they were traveling like what I imagine ugly Americans travel mm-hmm. like, but in a completely different way. Um, but if you know anything about Versailles, you also know that like the 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 the, the, the etiquette mm-hmm. of Versailles, while there were very formal rules, it was also just completely rude, mm-hmm. um, quite disgusting sometimes, just ostentatious over the top and totally ego driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's any place to exhibit those behaviors um, mm-hmm. as a tourist, it might be Versailles. <laughs> Well, we have a listener comment who writes, My mom is a registered nurse, and during the pandemic, I saw her work more than she had when I was young, even though she's hoping to retire soon. She volunteered for extra long shifts and to work on her days off. It was equally inspiring and sad, because after years of work, she's still working so hard. Do you feel that with your own mom that, you know, she gave up a lot to um, come to the United States and it wasn't and she wasn't, as we've said, one of those immigrants who wanted to be here. Was there a bit of guilt for you as you wrote this book to reconcile with? 
Yeah, um, there absolutely was. I did not think about the loss of career for her um, until I was writing this. Um, and that feels like a very, very, you know, childlike thing to say. I'm I'm a person in my uh, mid-30s, um, and it, mm. I'm sad to say it took me until then to really understand the loss um, that she experienced in her early 20s. Um, as someone, too, who's very proud of the career that they've established and and very grateful for the, um, the ability to find my own career, you know, um, I didn't ever feel a pressure to follow in certain paths or do certain things just be that were that were outside of my own desires. Um, but for my mother, um, the hard and difficult decision to enter back into the workforce in an industry that she wasn't entirely passionate about, mm. but um, was really driven by uh, what she could do without a very strong grasp of language, um, and then what she made out of it, which is that she's been at the same company now and working as an accountant for. 20 years. Mm. She's made wonderful friends, um, lifelong friends, some of whom actually came out to go see her um, during our, our, our book talk in, in Pasadena at Romans, which was Aww. so fun to see. Um, and she says she loves her job and she loves work. Um, and and she is, is nearing retirement age. Um, but every single morning when she gets up to go to work, she she loves it. And she, she she dresses up to go go to <laughs> to go to the office. And she has you know she takes a photo every single day before she goes. Um, and I think that 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 feeling of um, being useful, um, having a community that is outside of a friend group or even a family, um, feeling like plugged into um, industry um, was really really important for her. Um, and and also you know the, the the being able to find the silver lining in any situation is one of my mom's superpowers, um, mm. and she's turned that silver lining into something really really glittery and big. Well, this is Forum. I'm Grace Wan in Fermina Kim. I sort of love that your mom has an outfit of the day situation happening. <laughs> she says she's never repeated an outfit um, since the pandemic. And I think I believe her. That is really impressive. I, I'm sure she never went to the swe sweats and elastic waistband um, alternatives in her wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> she had her own version of that. <laughs> it wasn't what I looked like. That's for sure. Well, you have a young child and it was born during the pandemic. And I think becoming a parent often changes how we see our own parents. Was that your experience with your mom after your child was born? How could it not be my experience? Mm. Um, uh, being a parent, um, it, it, it breaks your brain. It breaks your body, too, um, in the best of ways. Um, it completely uh, flattens every sort of assumption and idea that you've had about how things ought to be and how things are um, and builds it up um, from the ground up, um, which is a, a, a really excruciating and beautiful and rewarding process if uh, you you choose to do it and you want to do it. Um, but I think the the main thing that I've experienced from now being a parent myself um, and raising my 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 little son uh, Mark um, is the importance of always trying to understand one another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's just starting to to talk and he's a chatterbox and mm. he it is so fun to watch him try to express himself in really creative ways um, and he does it with my mother in Chinese and he does it with me in Chinese and English and my, mm. my husband in English and that constant sort of effort that he puts into it and, and the effort that I, I also put into it, it really um, reinforced the idea that even though my mother and I, we we cannot understand each other in a language 
uh, basis, Mm -hmm. as well as someone like my husband and his mother can understand each other because they both speak fluent English, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But that's no excuse for not trying to understand each other. We can always improve. We can always get better. And in fact, um, the fact that my mother and I, we don't speak our dominant languages are not the same language. It's actually, um, uh, I, I, I do see silver lining in this and yeah. that the assumption is we always have to try and we always have to get better at it. And that, that, that sort of always striving to get, um, to understand each other, um, is a real gift that, um, my mother and I share. Well, Jamie writes, I love this segment. Thank you, Connie. For moms of young girls who want our kids to see us as people with our own lives, wants, and experiences, any tips for better facilitating that realization? Sometimes seems like you and your mom tapped into something special in that regard. Yeah. Well, well. My, so my kid is so young at this point that um, I actually feel like I should be asking you for advice um, <laughs> in this. But I, I think that one thing that has been really great is that uh, my mom has leaned into hobbies um, mm. and sort of and the and things that give her a lot of pleasure uh, in a very selfish sort of way. Um, and I, I say that in a in a very good sense, you know. Um, and knowing what my mom's predilections are and her preferences are and how she likes to spend her free time and where she carves out. Um, and demands the room to do it, um, even if it might be annoying to other people or or time-consuming for other people is so important. And, you know, the moms oftentimes are the ones who who sacrifice the most in a family Mm -hmm. in demanding time to be selfish and do things that speak only to yourself and and making sure your kids understand that I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 you know if you're lucky your kids also find find joy in those those pursuits as well and you guys can do them together. So for my mom that was shopping and thank goodness I love shopping so I'll do it with her. Um but there are things that help you understand oh she knows something so much better than I do in this one area and I can learn from her about that in a, like almost like a friend to friend level rather mm-hmm. than a mom to child level. Um, and that is that opens up a lot of doors. Well, we have just about a minute left, and I just wanted to reflect on one other aspect of the book. You and your mom have a fight, and your mother expresses probably one of the more honest statements I've heard about parenting, in which she basically says, "I don't belong to anyone. I belong to no one." Well, in in, in the time that we have left, what did she mean by that, and how did that impact you? Yeah, um, I think about this this thing that she said every single day of my life. Um, the idea of being beholden to people um, out of our our choice, um, and and uh, not only just people, but beholden to an idea, to a country, to a situation, um, and feeling trapped in that is is a lot of people's worst nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much about her life has been is, is about being trapped and breaking free from that trap, whether it's her own body. Sometimes her health issues have made her feel trapped in her own body. Mm -hmm. The idea of being accidentally stuck in America, Um, the liberation and being able to choose your own destiny and choose your own adventure is so important to her. It's one of her triggers to feel trapped. Um, So being able to indulge in that, to make, to set up a life in which you do feel liberated and do feel free and to also make that happen for other people um, is really the story of her life. And I'd love for that to be the story of my life, too. Oh, it's so wonderful. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. We've been talking to journalist Connie Wang about her new book, Oh, My Mother. It's a winner. Pick it up from an independent bookstore near you. Thanks so much for joining us, Connie. 
Thanks, Grace. This was fun. Yeah. We're going to take you out with a cut from Magic Mike XXL soundtrack. I mean, who doesn't love a little Backstreet Boys? This Hour of Form is produced by Caroline Smith, Juan Carlos Lara, and me, Grace Juan. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Susie, Pri- Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, and Christopher Beal. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin lindsay and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. Have a safe and wonderful memor- Memorial Day weekend, everyone, and hug your mom. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.